evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, the largest single-screen drive-in in the United States. We're certainly glad you could be with us this evening. And don't forget the concession stand is open with all kinds of great things to eat and drink. Mahoning Drive-In Radio, your old friend Virgil back once again for another exciting episode of the podcast. As you guys know, the only podcast dedicated to the love and revival of our beloved tribe-in culture. And today we're joined by a true champion of this culture who has done wonders to shine a light on this drive-in culture that we love so much. Writer, director, editor, all-around badass woman... April Wright, welcome to the show. Quite an intro, thank you. (laughs) Very happy to be here. (laughs) Well, we're really excited. This is uh, long overdue. When we first partnered up with Jeff in 2014, everybody came to us and was like, hey, have you seen this documentary? Have you seen this documentary? So this has been on our radar since we kind of got involved with the revival of the Mahoney. I know in a a weird way, it's sort of become like a handbook for anybody who wants to get involved with drive-in so that you, you understand the lay of the land and the history and all that stuff. It's so important because that's the main thing that we get with the newcomers to the drive-in or the people who, you know, haven't experienced the drive-in is how does this work? What is this, you know, magical wonderland that I've heard about, you know? And even though it's so simplistic, it really deserves kind of a guide and a a light shined on it. For anyone who jumped into this uh, show without looking at the description of the episode, we're talking about the documentary Going Attractions, the definitive story of the drive-in movie from 2013. Of the American drive-in movie. (laughs) I put American in there just because it's such an Americana and it oh, was yeah. such an American phenomenon. And even though they had them in other countries, they had, you know, Canada second after the United States and then Australia after that, and then a sprinkling, you know, in Europe, but they were so dominant in the United States. At, at one point there were over 5,000 of them. So, it, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible number. But yeah, I was saying how the film in a weird way has kind of become a handbook for people interested in building drive-ins or owning drive-ins. I started working on my second documentary on this topic called Back to the Drive-In, which I'm in post-production on now, but I visited the new Quasar Drive-In in in Valley, Nebraska. Yeah. And they took years to design and build a drive-in from scratch. Jeff Carls and, and his wife, Jenny, she's an architect. So they took used parts from the I-70 in Kansas City when it was being torn down in 2018. They took the screens, they took a bunch of the concessions equipment. Right. So it's a, it's a new, really cool, authentic drive-in designed by an architect. And so it's throwback, but it's new. And the funniest thing I was going to say was they said when they very first had the spark of the idea, one of them came across my documentary and gave it to the other and they watched it and that's what you know made them think they could do this and then when they started meeting some of the drive-in owners that were in the film they were like celebrities to them like, oh, you know, that that's Barry from the Stardust in Tennessee like they were like and they they are like that's meeting, meeting drive-in thing. celebrities so yeah. I thought that was really funny so when you make a documentary you know you have a subject that you're interested in you have no idea how it will touch people or where it will go and um and it's super cool you know to be part of this community and to you know have helped 
you know, people who are interested find each other and communicate with each other and, and know the history. So at least you're talking from, you know, a similar place. So I think all those things have been pretty, pretty cool side effects. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you're still super active with the driving culture and, you know, on the, the chat boards and things like that. You have kind of become a drive-in guru of sorts, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of cool. You know, we, we, it's a weird side effect, right? Yeah, it yeah. is. And we have <laughs> the same situation where, you know, when we got into this, it, it purely was a passion project, all heart, all about saving a singular drive-in. And our documentary, once it was out there, you know, people started discovering it and feel like they know you when they show up and can get behind your story. And it really just, uh, it's the magic of cinema. The fact that, you know, you can put a story out there and it can connect with so yeah. many people. I'm sure everybody knows about your film, but your documentary about the specifically the Mahoning is so good because it goes so in depth there. Right. You know, they're, they're good companion pieces for sure. Oh, perfect double feature. Yeah, perfect double feature. <laughs> going to be a triple feature when this new one is done. That's uh, right. But yeah, I thought it was funny. I think one time you told me like you you wanted to make a film all about the whole history and then you saw mine and you were like, okay, that's been done. Let me go, <laughs> let me go a different direction. Like Totally. Al has mentioned your documentary and in interviews and uh, I know Al's friendly with you. And yeah, it's, it, it is, it's kind of a great companion piece and yeah. really did kind of lead Al away from the idea of making just a, a big overarching yeah. uh, American drive-in documentary. So he's like, I got to pivot and just cover the Mahoney <laughs> because of all the drive-ins out there, that's the most interesting one. So oh, I love it. <laughs> well, we, uh, we always talk to people about their love of the drive-in, their history with the drive-in. And as the woman who directed this documentary and the upcoming sequel to the documentary, where does your love lie? Where does this all start? What is your earliest history uh, with the drive-in? Yeah, so I, I grew up outside of Chicago, um, north of Chicago on the Wisconsin border. So we were kind of halfway in a town called Zion, halfway between um, Chicago and Milwaukee. Yeah. And then I did actually, side tangent, I did actually live in Miami for a little while in, in high school. My mom was getting an advanced degree there. And there was the Tropicare drive-in that had um, oh, yeah. swap meets. And we went there every single weekend, pretty much every Sunday, we went to the Tropicare, which was an amazing drive-in. But the ones I grew up with was the Kino drive-in in Kenosha, the Waukegan drive-in and the Grays Lake Outdoor. We often went to all three of those, especially, you know, during the summer. It was just, I had a movie family and my family liked movies, liked going to movies. But especially, you know, I think for my mom, when we were young, it was an easy way to you know, throw us in the back seat and, you know, all the things that, all the <laughs> things that you hear night about. Out, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the things that you hear about and she would, she would pop our own popcorn at home, which, you know, of course you need to get at the snack bar. We went to the snack bar and got ice cream and stuff there too. Right. But I was telling somebody this story when I was making the new film about how she would pop popcorn at home and put fresh butter on it and then put it in a paper bag. Cause we didn't have plastic bags back then. That was something that, environmentally that came along later right <laughs> and um 
So we would have, you know, and, and it would get greasy from the butter. And and when I was telling this story to the guy that was working at the Coyote Drive, and he's like, oh, my God, my mom did that, too. We had those greasy bags of popcorn. And, <laughs> it would get, you know, my dad would be mad. It would get on the seat and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I guess we weren't the only ones who did that. But, um, yeah, it just good childhood memories. And so when I got a little older, the drive-ins kind of went through all the typical phases that I cover in Going Attractions. The Waukegan drive-in became a triple X theater at, at one point. So you could drive down the highway and see, you know, Look new, new, new yeah. people. <laughs> Although, like I say in the film, triple X then is about the degree of an R now. Right. Um, but uh, show but, some edgy stuff. <laughs> Yeah. And um, so that happened. The Grays Lake eventually got torn down. The Kino kept going for years until, you know, not that many years ago. Uh, they had caught wind of maybe a Walmart offer, which never came to fruition. The community fought it. They tore it down and it's an empty lot now. So I'm, I'm really heartbroken about that because it kept going yeah. for so many years. So I've kind of experienced, you know, all all the things in, and phases of drive-ins in different forms. And they were just, a, a, yeah, I love movies. I'm a filmmaker, obviously. So going to, um, you know, we went to indoor theaters too. We had a neighborhood movie palace down at the end of my street that we literally could walk to called The Dunes. My brother and sister worked there when we got older and it is now torn down, you know, so. Naturally, yeah. So I just had, you know, love of cinema, love of movies, loved going to the drive-in, you know, it was just a, a cool yeah, just as cool as it is today. <laughs> and so when I got older and I saw a lot of them were torn down or a lot of them for a period of time were just sort of abandoned in a way. Yeah. So when I was older, this is like after college, I would drive around the Chicago area. I had a, a job, a sales job with AT&T, a customer job where I had to drive around a lot. So I would drive around every part of Chicago. And if I knew there was an abandoned, you know, an undeveloped drive-in that was closed, but sitting there, I would drive out of my way. You're like, that is for me. I'm going to explore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, did, yeah. I never got out of the car, you know, you don't know what you're going to find, but, but, uh, <laughs> but I would drive out of my way to go see them. I've often said before, I would go sit with them like a dying relative. Like I would just sit there and spend time with them <laughs> and, and look at them and look at the, the marquees and the towers and just think you know what must this have been like in their day how did they build something this big what what did that marquee look like when all its neon worked you know I, I would just sit there and imagine somebody spent you know a lot of money to build these really fantastic places and they've become so run down and torn down and graffitied and you know and in bad shape yeah and, and then I moved out to LA and it was the same thing there were several here the Sentinella, which is the one in the movie Heat, was still standing. And the uh -huh. Studio Drive-In, which is the one in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, that was still standing. Yep. There was one in the Van Nuys Drive-In was still there. And I went to that one all the time. Uh, but some of these others, again, I would drive out of my way just to go sit. You know, they were had uh, fencing around them or whatever. And I would just be like, why is this not open? Why is this yeah. just sitting here? We could be watching movies on it right now. And so <laughs> that, yeah. that was the origin of my, well, it wasn't empty lot. They were just, you know, they were still there, but just not open. So that's what really sparked my interest because everybody kept saying real estate, real estate is the problem. That is why drive-ins are gone. But I'm like, well, if it's just real estate, 
why are there so many just sitting around that I've been visiting for years that are just right. totally run down, idle, you know, empty. And so that's where I learned that, you know, it isn't only real estate. It's a culmination of a whole bunch of factors similarly to what made them popular after World War II, there was a convergence of technology and car culture and people coming home from the war and the baby boom and all these things that made them hugely popular in you know the late 40s to the 50s, a big spike. Right. You know, like it, it went from 100 to 1,000 to 5,000 really fast. And then in the 80s, you had a similar spike downward, which was, you know, all the things that we cover in the movie, VHS and cable TV and you know, real estate was a piece of it, but it certainly was not the only thing. There were a ton of factors that all converged. So you had like 40-ish good years in the middle where they were, you know, in the thousands and very strong from yeah. the 40s to the 80s. But it was a, a, a sharp jump and a sharp uh, decline, pretty much. And um, I just wanted to understand the whole story. So when I first looked into it, there were about a thousand drive-ins left, which is a lot. Oh, yeah. Compared to now, even that's a lot. You know? Yeah. And I wasn't really making films yet, um, but I had the idea like, you know, oh, wow. You know, I had done my research and I knew there were about a thousand left. And then uh, maybe three years later when I was starting to make films. So now we're getting into like the mid 2000s and a few of those around L.A. had gotten torn down around 98. So kind of, you know, in the late 90s, I was thinking about it. And then when I looked back into it in the early 2000s, then there was only 500 and I was like, Ooh, that, oh that went down really fast. Yeah. So I was like, I better get on the road and make this film before there are zero. Like I didn't know what this trajectory was. And so I just, I did an extensive amount of amount of research on, you know, every website or whatever that was available. And I had books like books with pages, a page for every single drive-in. Um, I printed out pictures of, you know, what they looked like, what people had posted. And it was oh, a ton of, it. it was a ton of detective work then because I had the people who found it. One of the people who founded driveins.com in the film, because they were the most comprehensive website at the time yeah. that had gathered the most information and the most photos, but there were four or five others that I was also cross-checking with cinema treasures being one. So I was, I was looking at all, all the information, but you know, you didn't have Google Maps on your phone or whatever. Right. The ease of being able to just be like, I'm gonna yeah. find Yeah. And so I had to I had to research map this out all manually on paper in these notebooks, like very thick notebooks. Like I had done the research, every single drive in every single state, and you couldn't Google Earth it then either. You know, to be like, let me see if something's there. When I get there, is it gonna be a building or is there actually a drive in still there? I didn't know. You know, it would be like somebody had posted a picture from 2001 showing remnants and I'd be like, okay, it's 2005. Is, is that still going to be there from 2001 when I get there? I don't know. Who knows? You yeah. Know? And so it really was an exploration, but I did to make that film. I wanted to be thorough. I wanted it to be the definitive story. And so I went to as many drive-ins as I could in every state I took two long road trips in the summer of 2006, summer of 2007. And then I took a few other smaller trips to get the places I missed, including Hawaii. But I went to every state except for Alaska, not because Alaska doesn't have drive-ins, it did, but I just haven't been there yet. But I went to 49 states and I went to over 500 locations. I went to open drive-ins, wow. closed, abandoned, remnants, and 
you know, if, if they were a well-documented drive-in that had good photos of what it looked like, I would go see what is there today? What did it become? Amazing. And so as a result, I have by far been to more drive-ins than anybody. <laughs> and, you are the drive-in queen. <laughs> and like you said, I accidentally became kind of an expert on drive-ins just because I was so thorough in my travels and in my research. So right. that's the whole making of it. I don't think I've ever really told anybody because I don't think anybody but you guys, uh, you know, with a drive-in podcast, <laughs> could have the interest in that much depth about how I made this film. But that is the whole story right there. I never really told that before. Well, that's why it's it's such an incredible piece is you caught a time that really was another turning point for the drive-in culture. It was really on that decline. Like when I, my childhood drive-in closed in 1998. So around that same time when Which you were- drive-in was that? That was the Bucks County Twin in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And it was, it, it seemed like at that time, for years before that, it was a decline. And then in 98, it really felt like, wow, there was this big clear out. Although I was gonna say, the, the, but the weird complexity of it, which I didn't know when I started, but I learned very quickly, even though the numbers were dropping, there was also this sort of overlap of a drive-in renaissance already starting back then. Kind of in 98 forward, 2000s, there were all these new drive-ins being put up and right. all these old drive-ins coming back. So it's like the total numbers were were definitely nosediving, but there were also a bunch of new things brewing at the same time. When it started popping back up. Yeah, so it's super interesting. I mean, I don't know how many there are now. There, I think they were tracking like 305 going into COVID, but we know in the last two years with COVID, a number have closed. Yeah. Um, and some are for sale now and some are finding new owners that will keep them as drive-ins. But I, I think the number is definitely going to be below 3,000 once we uh, can count the numbers of who ends up actually opening this summer. Yeah, that's what we always say. I and mean, even since we started in 2014, that number has kind of ridden right around 300. And it's a shame because as much as we try to shine a light on the good news around the world in the drive-in culture, as far as these drive-ins reopening or being revived, you know, a lot of the news, unfortunately, is the bad news. It's it's what happened to all of our childhood drive-ins where it's being optioned by, uh, you know, the big box uh, companies and getting ready to close down or whatever the case is. So it, it's really difficult, you know, and I think that the love of the culture goes so much further when your culture is kind of in that state. Every single trip to the drive-in is that much more important. Well, that's the number one key is if you have a drive-in near you or even one you have to drive a little bit to get to, make it part of your regular routine. Go to them, support them. Like that is the only way they can survive. They can't be just the novelty you go to once every five years because the next five years, they might not be there. You got to go all the time yeah. and, uh, and make that part of your routine. And you guys are in the situation that a lot of them have been and are, which is a land lease situation, which has caused the demise of many, many drive-ins oh, where, yeah. the, where the operators, you know, in the fifties or whatever, did a 50 year land lease. And then once those come due, even if if the drive-in is thriving, sometimes the owner has other plans and that causes a perfectly good drive-in to not exist anymore. That's what happened. That's one of the things that happened at the Kino. My, yep. my drive-in 
you know, the, the people running it were ready to convert to digital, keep it going. And then the owner thought they had an opportunity to sell the land. They, they tore it down. They didn't get that, that offer. And, you know, now we lost a drive-in for pretty much no reason. Yeah. So that one is heartbreaking for me. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, again, that's kind of the, the case with a lot of people, every single guest that we bring on, that's nine times out of 10. It's, I had my childhood drive-in. It made me fall in love with movies and become who I am. And now it's a vacant lot, or now it's, you know, developed into this, that, or the other. And like you said, it has a lot to do with uh, the land development and the cost of land and blah, blah, blah. But there's a ton of factors that go into it. And I think even with us being kind of the perfect example of mixing the old school and the new school and finding your own kind of uh, marketing strategy, we were in the worst case scenario for a drive-in. When your back's against the wall and the land is being sold out from under you, there's not anything you can really do. And mm. our success story and turnaround there, that's why I think uh, it was so newsworthy is it doesn't happen. Nine times out of 10, it becomes the other way around. The thing that you yeah. love gets closed down by the big well, the big uh, entity, you know? And, you know, not, not to prop you guys up too much, but... I think that everybody recognizes, and I certainly see that you guys have done such a good job of promoting the Mahoning, having unique events, having, you know, getting your following, doing your marketing, doing all the things to really carve out your niche, especially in that community, but also to become a destination drive-in. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that have like, you know, I got to go to Shankweiler's, I got to go to Benji's, I, you know, totally. I got to go to Mahoning, like, like, you know, there's certain drive-ins that get on on the list that people want to pay a special visit to make sure that they see it. Yeah. And you guys have done a really good job with your promotions and just, you know, creating a unique thing that, that you do. So congratulations on all of that. We're honored, you know, and just like having you on anybody that we can have on, that's kind of a fellow mouthpiece for the love of this culture that for a lot of people, they still assume it's, it's kind of a dead culture and something that went away you know? Yeah. So anytime that we can shine a light on it and preach about it, it really does bring it back on people's radar. Yeah. And as terrible as COVID was, you know, for the drive-in culture, it really helped uh, shine that light back on. We knew things turned when car commercials were rolling up to the <laughs> drive-in to sell their, their car, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's been interesting, but that's kind of what my new documentary is about. I mean, I was at the drive-in theater owners convention in spring of 2020 before COVID hit mm -hmm. and Brad Pitt had just won his Oscar and you know he always talks about going to the drive-in and he talked about it in his Oscar acceptance speech how he learned about films going to the, to his drive-in and so we were trying to figure out can we can we play off of that or how, how can we get attention the guy that owns um, Shankweiler's Paul Geisinger had said in my documentary, do we need to get a, a 30 second Super Bowl ad to tell people drive-ins are still out there? You know, how can we make people know? And then, you know, a month later, <laughs> all of a sudden COVID hits. And it's and like, okay, yeah. well, we got our wish. Now everybody <laughs> drive-ins, we got that national and international attention, uh, not in a way anybody could have predicted. Yeah. But I think it's, uh, but but here's the tough part, and this is why I wanted to make the follow-up documentary, is that despite that awareness and good press, that does not mean drive-ins are printing money or doing well. 
In fact, even though, you know, even if they had a little bump, they, a lot of states, they were still limited to half car capacity or there's no product coming from the studios or they had to hire extra employees to clean things more or to make sure people parked spaced enough, you know, like there were all these other complications that even though they had awareness and they had people, you know, coming back to the drive-in and discovering the drive-in, there were still a lot of mitigating factors that you know, maybe they squeaked out a little money. Maybe, you know, it was a break even. It certainly wasn't numbers of previous years. And now last year with other things opening up, they're really struggling because there's still lack of studio product. There's still um, hiring issues. There's supply chain issues. There's just like the airlines, a lot of them were having really, you know, argumentative customers causing problems. There's just all these things making it, really hard to run a drive-in oh, but, yeah. but their hearts are still in it you know they're determined this you know you know how drive-in owners are they're super resilient people they're all family owned or they're all you know run by individuals even if they're a corporation it's a family-owned corporation even if they have a couple locations so you know these are just people these are on you know entrepreneurs families family-run businesses they, you know, of course they need to make money to survive and, and make a living at it, but they're also feel like they're doing something important for their communities. And, oh, yeah. um, and, and there's just all these factors stacking up that you, you know, you think from the press, they must all be doing fantastic and just, you know, getting rich off of it basically is what it feels like when you see the press, like, oh, drive-ins are the thing. And it's like, that's not the case. No, they're they're fighting and just trying to get through through the other side of this phase and, and hope they're still there. So that's what I wanted to show is just sort of the behind the scenes, you know, operation, what it takes, all the work they put in, all the work they put in starting at, you know, two or three in the afternoon until two or three in the morning, yeah. you know, every day of summer. <laughs> you know, it's a ridiculous amount of work and they love it and it's their passion. But, you know, back to what I said before, you have to support the drive-ins. You have to come out. You have to frequent them and and show a little respect to the people that do it because there's certainly a lot of a lot of people that you know they've been cooped up too long in some cases <laughs> <laughs> well that's one of the main reasons i love this culture is because you know like you said it's insanely familial uh the culture every owner wants to help each other and it's not a competitive outfit and everybody who is still standing really um, as you touched on, had to jump a million hurdles and, you know, turn down a, a, a million different uh, uh, scenarios to be able to still stand there and deliver movies to your community. And that for us is our biggest selling point, besides the fact that we're the, the drive-in that shows 35 millimeter, we're a retro classic drive-in. It really is uh, uh, steeped in the past in that it's an essential community space. Yeah. After a long day of work, after a, you know, a, a long day with the kids, it's, it's still an essential option for people to get out of their heads. And now it's, it's diminishing the amount of things that yeah. us as a culture can do together. And that's why we, uh, we really try to push the smaller events, the Tuesday events, because we know it's built for the people who aren't traveling across the country to get to us. And that's the most important thing is building that, that centralized base. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And and that was one thing I realized. I, I started realizing this making the film for sh my first documentary for sure. But the more I've been around drive-ins and traveling and then 
I made another film about uh, movie palaces and the history of those. And I have come to the definite conclusion that a lot of times uh, decisions that are purely financial, you know, about changes and buildings and whatever, when, when they're purely driven by financial, they usually are not the best long-term decision for the community. Right. And it, it really is kind of terrible. I mean, if you could go back in time, we, if, if, if we valued culture, <laughs> if, we, if we valued culture and we valued community and we valued how kids are being raised and all of these things, if we valued those things more than money, we might have restructured taxes differently and done things where we looked at places, you know, community gathering places, community social gathering places like this as, as essential, as essential as schools or museums or other things where we would give incentives or tax breaks or things that would, you know, not allow uh, the land to be, you know, to replace them with shopping and things like this. Because when you get rid of these community gathering places, you really do, like you were just starting to say, you minimize a way for the community to interact and, and to know each other, which was part of how things used to be. And, um, you know, it, it just, it isolates us more. It has negative downstream effects. And, you know, so I think a lot of these places, and I, I grew up in with this besides drive-ins, my family had a roller skating rink growing up. Oh my God. How retro cool are you? Come on. <laughs> so that's how I grew up, but, but yeah, so oh, I, I grew up roller rinks in there. I grew up bowling alleys in there, like all these yep, things video that, stores. that yep. um, you know, our, our community gathering places. Um, and, and the more you lose those, you, you unravel the fabric of the community and, and it has all sorts of impact on how people treat each other and how people feel isolated. And a lot of the things that we're seeing effects of this in, in different ways. So I kind of think this, this is a, a little root of bigger problems issue yeah, when yeah. we make the decisions to let places like this go. Cause you, you lose, you know, especially with the driving, you lose an outdoor, an outdoor space too, you know, which even those are critical. <laughs> so, oh, God, you know, yeah. so the ones that are left and, and the ones that people are bringing back to life right now, and the ones that people are building from scratch, I, I commend all of those people and you guys, you know, for just because you put your heart and soul into it, but it is so important. It's so important. it's got to be, so. you know, if it's like you said, if it's a money venture, it's going to be a really hard time for you. But if it's all heart and all about doing this for the right reasons, it's incredibly rewarding, you know, because yeah. I, I think about it that, you know, we see the drive-ins who struggle and uh, have their their kind of minimal success by building their local community. And, and people say the Mahoning's like a it's like a cult following. And I always say it, it could be like that in every single town. It could be like that again in every single town that has a drive-in. They just need to kind of play into that and, and promote that, you know? Yeah. And I love the fact that there's now multiple documentaries out there for people to discover because more than anything, as much as we hope, oh, people are going to see the documentary, it's it's a word of mouth still that brings people back to the drive-in and back to discovering what's so magical about it. So as much um, as uh, amazing work it is, it just gets the conversation going again. And that's really why we started the podcast is we said, if we can get the people you know running these drive-ins to come out and put their heart on the table like we've been able to, it it really does spread that that love around for people who just love the culture and the feeling and the the drive-in memories as a whole. Yeah, and I'm really hopeful that, like you said, 
you know, I think most drive and strive for that, like building their, their local people, and then you're going to get other visitors and growing that over time. Right. You know, and, and the thing about the drive-in too, that, that I always say is it's different from going to a regular movie because when you go to drive-in, it doesn't matter what the movie is. The movie can be awful. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's know? secondary. Yeah. You're just having, you know, you're, you're in, in a place having an experience and it, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole event and it's a whole experience because you're with the people you're with, you can talk to them, you know, it's, it's a whole, it's more social it's different than just seeing a movie or seeing a movie at home. It, you know, it has all these aspects of, an, of a night out and just having a, a, a and creating a memory. You know, that's the other thing too. Yeah. When you're streaming stuff at home, you know, I can barely remember what I watched three days ago or last week. Or <laughs> or last totally night. disposable, right? And, yeah. and they, it's disposable and they call it content because it's true. It's just like content goodbye. And I think, you know, not that, not that I wouldn't want to have things on those streamers. I totally do. <laughs> But, but um, I think when you see something, you know, at a movie palace or at a drive-in, you have this added layer of the entire experience that really imprints a memory. And I think going to drive-ins and going to movie palaces is why so many people who are filmmakers fell in love with, you know, movies. Oh, yeah. Because you had this bigger experience with it where you weren't just watching the movie, but you had a had a memory imprinted on you that made it so special and really allowed you to escape into into that film and into those characters in in a different way. And that's yeah. why Brad Pitt talks about it when he wins his Oscar. And that's why Martin Scorsese talks about it. And all the all the filmmakers that we you know consider the greats all talk about their memories of going to drive-ins you know james cameron talks about how he went to drive-ins in orange county growing up or california oh, yeah. you know so it, it it um we're all right there you know it's yeah, it, it's led us down a different path i say it all the time i fell in love with movies in the back seat of my mother's car and it shifted my whole perspective on things i started getting into acting and singing and performance and that would have never happened if i weren't in this larger than life uh, scenario and had this uh, world wash over me at such a perfect young age. Yeah. And it, it's funny, we ask almost every person on the podcast, what movies do you remember seeing as a youngster? And most of them don't remember. It's the the little memories. It's the little instances. <laughs> it's being there with the people that you were there with. And the movies really become the afterthought in the memory. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, some people in, in my travels and talking to people, there's a ton of people who remember seeing Star Wars at a drive-in. <laughs> right. I think that was a huge, a huge one. And um, but but I think for for people like me, where it was something that we did all the time, you know, sometimes they're like, what specific movie do you remember? And it's like, I don't because it was everyday life. We went to drive-ins constantly. So so for some of us, yeah, there wasn't one specific formative film. But yeah, that's when a lot of people bring up to me that it was so special to see it. And yeah. a lot of people did see it at drive-ins. But, you know, like I, I have vague, like I can kind of remember the movie Grizzly. Oh, um, yeah, perfect. You know, was the, the, you know I, 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 because that one was just, you know, as a little kid, it was so shocking to me, of course. But I can vaguely remember sneaking some peeks of that at a drive-in. And, yeah. you know, so there's a few things like that 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 I kind of remember specifically at a drive-in, but mostly I just remember the drive-in. And I'll tell you a really funny thing too, like as much as I, you know, like I said, we went to three of them 
And it was so funny when I went back to the Kino and I hadn't been there for years. And I actually just, I was going through the area and I, I visited it. Um, sadly, the last season it was open. I didn't know it was going to be their last season. Yeah. But, but it was kind of funny when I got in the snack bar, I was like, oh, this is so weird. Like, I'm a child again. <laughs> well, no, no, no. What happened was I was like, this is so weird. I was blending the memories in my mind because I was like, oh, this isn't how I remember the snack bar. And then I started realizing, oh, I was remembering the Gray's Lake snack bar. Oh, crazy. So you blended them all together. <laughs> I was blending them together because the Gray's Lake snack bar was actually partially underground. Like you would go down. Oh, yeah. Um, you would go down ramps to go in it. So a lot of it was submerged underground, but there were windows above where you could look out and see the movie. Oh, and, so cool. and that one was so cool that that was the snack bar I had, you know, in my memory. And then I had the Kino layout and screen, you know, so when I got there, I was like, oh, that's so weird. I always thought that snack bar was at the Kino. No, that was the Gray's Lake snack bar. That's so funny. Yeah. So I blended some of it. Oh, I love it. Well, you mentioned it. Do you credit the drive-in with leading you on your path to want to be a storyteller and falling in love with movies and wanting to direct? I think it was all part of it. My dad had an eight millimeter camera and we had a projector and we had reel-to-reel -reel editing equipment. So he was always making movies. And so I was aware of the process of it. You know, right. even even as a, a little kid and even when we were kids, we played around and shot stuff on the eight millimeter and edited it um, with me and my brother and my sister. So I always had awareness of the process. And then, you know, like I said, my brother and sister worked at the movie theater down the street. I remember, for example, when Raiders of the Lost Ark was there. Oh, yeah. I probably saw it at least 40 times in the theater because I didn't have to pay because they worked there. And so, you know, it, we just had, you know, my whole family, we just had this whole climate of really loving movies. So I knew I would do something in movies eventually. Um, yeah. I just wasn't sure exactly what, and I'm not purely a documentarian. I mean, I write and, and I've done other, you know, narrative things and I'm trying to do some television things now, but for me, there's a lot of documentaries that are about, you know, heavy topics or certain causes or certain issues, social yeah. issues or whatever, that I would never know how to make a documentary like those. Although I believe even though mine are very entertaining, they still have plenty of social commentary oh, yeah. within the, the, the story. But I try to tell documentaries about topics like this, you know, that are entertaining, but also have, have heart and have social commentary within the entertainment. <laughs> Well, you've done an amazing job with it. I have to ask because it was so incredibly badass. What brought you to the Stunt Woman documentary and working with all those incredible ladies? Well, that was related, yeah, to my, to my body of work that I had done um, both going attractions films, the definitive story of the American Drive-In movie, and then I was following it up with the definitive story of the movie Palace. Those were both Hollywood history um, in a way, and uh, sort of an obscure aspect yeah, yeah, <laughs> of, yeah. of the whole history, um, and also used a ton of clips. And so Stunt Women was a very similar type of film, that it was looking at the history of women doing stunts since the beginning of cinema, and also doing, you know, using a lot of clips. So there was a big parallel. And of course, I was really interested at being a woman who works in the film industry, because I felt like the statistics, although they're improving now, 
hadn't really changed for women. Um, the, the percentage of women, you know, directing had basically remained flat since the 70s. And so I felt like, you know, the stunt women have had this struggle to not be replaced by men wearing wigs or whatever <laughs> um, over the years that they've had to struggle to, to show that they can do the work. And I was like, that's a smaller community, but it really represents the bigger struggle that has happened in this industry. So I really related to the story and I knew a stunt woman and we were wanting to work on something together. And I knew a really great female DP who had shot documentaries. We wanted to work on something together. And then a couple of producers I knew had that book. And I, it was, it just all lined up really quickly. There was a book about the topic and I was just like, okay, I have a stunt woman who can give, get, help us get access to these people. I have a female DP. Like I sort of came like it's her. lining up, baby. <laughs> it just all happened. Yeah, this yeah. was literally within a few weeks. And so, you know, and I had a, a take on the material to put, you know, to have younger stunt women actually meet the older stunt women who were still alive and yeah. let them let them uh, let the stories in the book come to life. Um, so we have, you know, the woman who did most of Pam Greer's stunts back in the. <laughs> 70s too cool uh, jd david we had Jeannie epper who was linda carter uh wonder woman's stunt double yep. julianne johnson who was uh did charlie's charlie angels and i mean ended up being one of the first stunt women uh, i mean one of the first stunt coordinators who was a woman on charlie's angels so yeah living legends in you know and so i had them and paired them with younger stunt women to hear hear their stories directly and then i got all the top stunt women today you know the scarlett johansson for black widow her and her sister does stunts her sister did captain marvel and yep. you know all these big ones and i went to the marvel set down in uh atlanta where they were shooting avengers and you know so <laughs> we got us yeah you know, we world. got all all the all the range of people you know from the earlier earliest ones that we could find to the ones that are the top of the game right now and it was just, it was super fun. And Michelle Rodriguez came on board to executive produce and was in it. And her driver since the very first Fast movie, um, Debbie Evans is in the film. And I got to put her and Michelle in the car together. And we shot drift car racing, which you would never get to shoot for a documentary. I got to shoot, <laughs> I got to shoot action sequences and it was super fun. So, so awesome. But, but you know, similar, similar to the other films, they're all just, aspects of cinema history that you don't really think about but you know if you see my films then you will you'll start to notice these things <laughs> yeah well that's what's perfect about it that's why i love the the uh, documentary as a, a genre in general is you know it's a means to feed your brain as well as entertain it and mm -hmm. uh, you do such an incredible job it's one of those things i've i've been obsessed with zoe bell and and it came on my radar uh, when she was posting about working on it. And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, this is going to be the coolest. And of course, uh, <laughs> with you attached, I was like, well, how a uh, smaller world, you know? Yeah, Zoe's just, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, too cool. Well, why don't you uh, you talk about what led you back to the drive-in topic with the new documentary and uh, where you're at now with production? Yeah, so I, I called it back to the drive-in just because many people went back to the drive-in during COVID, but also for me going back for a second time. And also I was like, oh, it can't hurt that it, if people look up back to the future, they're going to see back to the drive-in. <laughs> <laughs> nice angle. I like it. <laughs> 
So <laughs> it kind of had that, you know, it just kind of, and, and driving people play back to the future so often, like I just knew that would all tie in together, oh, yeah. like it all kind of links. And, you know, back to the future is about the fifties and the present, you know, so it all just kind of fit. So back to the drive-in is what I called it. And I, I did want to make it before COVID. I was going to revisit the drive-ins and show the people running them, the families and what the challenges were. But then when COVID happened, it kind of added this different layer. And I, I was thinking about going out, you know, summer of 2020, but, you know, I wasn't sure all the all the regulations kept changing everywhere you know so i wasn't where you sure can who, travel who, where you can yeah i wasn't sure who would yeah. be open or you know just all of that yeah and, and some places were closing open you know the, it was just a mess and so i i did shoot one out here the mission tiki because the mission tiki drive-in actually got sold in 2019 they were originally scheduled to be torn down in december of 2019 Right. But that didn't happen uh, immediately. And then COVID happened. And so they've still been operating. But the place that own it has filed the paperwork for their plans. So I'm not sure, but I have a feeling they might not make it through this year, which is we shall sad. see. It's pretty and it's a, such a shame. Tiki is see. gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they just put the Tiki theme in maybe a decade ago, maybe 15 years ago. It was just the mission driving because that's the street that they're on. As, as you know from watching my documentary, many oh, yeah. named uh, based on the street they were on. So anyway, so that one I shot earlier only because I wasn't sure when that would happen. And, um, you know, so I wanted to make sure I got them before something, uh, you know, changed, changed their yeah. situation. But then the rest, um, it, this is actually funny. There was a reporter who did a story during uh, COVID. There were all these drive-in stories. So I did... Time Magazine. I think you guys had a bunch of them too. Oh Time yeah, they were all coming out of the woodwork. In yeah, <laughs> and so one of the reporters said, "Hey, are you working on your follow-up?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, this was in like March of last year." I was like, "Oh yeah, a lot of drive-ins are opening drive-in season. There's sort of a window, you know, a lot of them are open year-round, but there's sort of a window to really get the full movie." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I better get on the road. Like I have to, you know, I just need to get out there and shoot it." So I. Uh, my mom contributed some money <laughs> for me it. to travel and um, and I had gotten a drone because that was one of the main reasons I, I said this half joking, but very serious that one of the reasons I wanted to make another drive-in film is because there's drones now. <laughs> I can get that beautiful aerial. <laughs> it's almost like they were made for drive-ins. Oh, you know, like yeah. what's one of the best things to shoot? <laughs> you see all these, that you know, overhead. Yeah. you see all these establishing shots in, in whatever is on TV, like going over the town and it's like, yeah, whatever that gets boring after a while, but drive-ins, you know, from the aerial view, that's amazing. So I, I got a drone and I'm a drone pilot now. I got pretty good at it, by the way. But anyway, so yes, yeah, so I, I was just like, I got to get on the road. So I, I went on the road for almost six weeks um, last summer, 2021. And I actually went to 21 states wow. and um, visited a bunch of drive-ins. I also am doing going attractions on the other topics we were talking about, bowling alleys, roller rinks. Yes, and, and, come on, you love it. <laughs> And mom and pop amusement parks, like smaller oh, yeah. regional amusement parks, because yeah. those are all things that are going attractions too. And so I shot B-roll for those as I was driving all over. I visited a whole bunch of those. I ended up visiting like 68 roller rinks, 61 <sighs> bowling alleys. Uh, I forget how many amusement parks, 35 amusement parks or something. 
But for this film, I visited 11 different drive-ins in eight states to feature. And then I visited a few other drive-ins, you know, just along the way that were not part of the featured drive-ins, but just other ones I visited. So yeah, it was a busy drive for six weeks. It sounds I, like the coolest six-week road trip you could ever have <laughs> visiting that, that well, many things. Well, you got to figure it's the third time I've had that because <laughs> <laughs> I made the other film. Driving from LA all the way out to Cape Cod and back. So yeah, this is the third time I've made that drive. I probably awesome. will not make that drive ever again <laughs> if I can honest. Um, Most people don't drive cross country once. I've done it back and forth three times now. Anyway, so yeah, so I spent a whole night at each drive-in and just you know, from the time that they show up doing all the preparation till, you know, the, the night is done. And, and, um, and that's what the film is. It's more verite. There's no, you know, sit there. There's a few times where they're sitting down talking to me just because they got to the point where there's a break in the night after the movies on screen, after they did their intermission or whatever, then they're like, Ooh, we can sit down and talk to you for a minute. <laughs> but most of it is just verite where I'm just um, following what happens. Yeah. And at each drive-in, there were different things happening. Um, one of them was having a band. One of them, the one on Cape Cod, had so much fog rolling in that he was afraid he might have to refund everybody because you wouldn't be able to, <laughs> wouldn't yep, be able to, see, <laughs> to see the picture on the screen. You know, So each drive-in sort of has their own thing that shows a different aspect. And, um, and so, yeah, I've just been editing all of that cutting that together. And now we're at the point where I'm uh, ready to finish the film. I picture locked it about a week and a half ago. Beautiful. And I'm trying to cut a trailer right now for the drive-in so they can start playing it. Um, hopefully I can get that done in the next few days. <laughs> and a lot of the drive-ins are going to play it um, this summer. We haven't locked in on the exact um, release date yet because we're trying to work around the Hollywood release schedule and figure out what you know which weekend we can get it on the most screens right but um it might be around June 10th that like I said that's not locked in but that's seems to be where we might be aiming to have it sometime around um drive-in day which is June 6th when the very first drive-in opened yeah so we'll see we'll see so yeah don't don't quote me on the date yet but it will be available on drive-in screens and also a lot of independent theater indoor screens sometime this summer. So I'm, I'm the train is moving to get this done. <laughs> I've got somebody working on the score, working on all the audio and I'm scheduled to do all the color in a couple of weeks. So it's just a, a fast it's moving all train. Happening. It's all fast happening. moving train to get this, this movie done and, and, um, and out there for people to see. If people want to support the project, do you have um, uh, ongoing fundraising for it? Yeah, there's a crowdfunding that we're doing right now that um, it's at supportyourstory.com or support our story, sorry, S-U-P-P-O-R-T-O-U-R-S-T-O-R-Y.com. Um, it's just back to the drive-in feature documentary finishing funds. And uh, we've been running that for about a week and a half and we've had a lot of good support so far, but we're at 41% of the goal. So we still have about 15,000 to raise and uh, 18,000 for the, the total stretch goal that will cover everything. But, um, but yeah, we've had so many people support and just, um, it, it's kind of cool really actually to connect with so many people who have seen the first documentary or some of my other work. And so they want to be involved and they want to support it. So it's been super nice. Like I've been really surprised just, you know, people showing up and, and wanting to help. And yeah, I mean, if, if the timeline were longer and I could get money another way, or if, 
or if COVID had been better to me and I had more money myself, I wouldn't have to do the crowdfunding, but you know, things have been tough. So this was like, I'm going to try crowdfunding. I never tried it before, but I think it's been a really good experience. That's the world we're in. And being that you're telling a story of this culture, it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's supportive and people certainly will, will put their, uh, their money behind it. And I don't yeah. know if you know, but we have a few drive-in fans that listen to this podcast. So it's a good place to put it out there. If you guys want to support this project, you heard it, head on over and get us cross that hundred percent line. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, I'm, so that that's basically my next few months is just going to be finishing this and getting it on drive, you know, as many drive-in screens as we can and indoor theaters. And because it just, it helps get the word out about drive-ins. Everything we were talking about earlier on this podcast about how people need to know they're there, know they're struggling, support them, get out. I think this year is going to be especially crucial. There are some good drive-in films coming out this summer. I think the new Jurassic World one is probably going to be big. There, oh, they yeah. have they have a drive-in, you know, a, a drive-in with a dinosaur in the trailer. How perfect so, is know. that? <laughs> How, <laughs> Go yeah, see that at a drive-in, folks. You're crazy not to. Yeah, exactly. Because then you can see it in 4D, like you're there in the drive-in, <laughs> in the drive-in seat, You know, like that's what we crazy. always say about the space movies. And it's funny you brought up Star Wars because whenever we play a movie set in space there's no separation between the screen and the world is, you know, you look up and it's just stars and stars and stars. Exactly. uh, You're, you're inside the movie. Can't get that at the indoor. That's for sure. Or if you're seeing a horror film, it's 4d. You don't know who's going to come out of those trees next to you. That's right. Like, it definitely adds an element. <laughs> we show Friday the 13th movies and we have somebody dressed as Jason who walks around and taps on car windows. So it really is the old style. <laughs> yep. That'll do it. Yeah. Uh, well, Mark, do you have uh, anything for April? Well, I, I didn't want to ask a question that we ask of everybody we have as a guest here. And that is if you could program and not even looking to see if anybody else would care or if it would be a financial success. If you could program your own drive-in double feature or weekend of four films for a weekend for your own personal enjoyment, what would those films be? Wow, that is a very interesting question. Hmm. The amount of drive-ins you've been to and double features and (laughs) God, that must... (laughs) Yes, I have been honored to be a double feature with things like Smokey and the Bandit. Love it. I was a double feature with Jaws at a drive-in. I, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I've been a double feature with so many cool films. But let's see, I really think about that 4D element. Like what movie's gonna be even better at a drive-in? Yeah. And I can't go to the obvious choice, Grease, because everybody plays that and it really is great to see Grease at a drive-in. But, um, <laughs> I think some of what we were talking about, like scary movies would probably be what I would do. So I might do Jaws, maybe Jaws with Grizzly. They're kind of a similar thing. Jaws with Claws. Yes, exactly. And that's how they marketed it, I think, when it it first came out. So that might be good. And then my one of my favorite horror films is Carrie. And um, that would be fun to see at a drive-in, but what would I put with it? I don't know. Um, The Shining is another favorite of mine. I have so many favorite horror films and thriller films. That's kind of my go-to. But I also mentioned Loving Raiders of the Lost Ark and Raiders of the Lost Ark is awesome on a drive-in screen because that's an adventure and you're in it. So I would would have to think about that a little more because 
when I think about programming, I'm like, what's the right combination, which I know you guys do too. And of course, Quentin Tarantino does out here with the new Beverly. Um, you know, you're really thinking about what's that combination. How can I draw people in with a film they know and then the share something that maybe they don't know, you know? Yeah. So I would have to think a little further, but those are some that I would definitely think about. All of those would crush. And Mark, am I wrong? We played Grizzly for what, what event? It was a Animal An Attack event? Weekend. Animals Attack. <laughs> it was Grizzly and uh, another William Girdler film. Uh, what was it? Day of the Animals. Whole, whole bunch of Jaws may have been in there. And we, we have run Carrie as well. Uh, maybe Carrie oh, and, and Night. And you guys have had Joe Bob Briggs out there. And you know I did that. Um, yeah, pilot. let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we made a pilot um, with Joe Bob Briggs. We got funding through the State of Montana Film Fund and um, had him visit the amusement park drive-in. And we could not get traction. They thought he was too old or people weren't into drive-ins. And he uh, tweeted not too long ago, like, boy, we were way ahead of our time on this. They blow that <laughs> yeah, opportunity. No kidding. Like, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll still come up again. But yeah, the whole idea, we, we like I said, we shot a pilot and, and the whole idea was each week he would have a different classic car each episode and that he would visit a different family-owned drive-in and just spend time with the family and that he writes his own stuff. He's very funny and entertaining. And it's just so funny that he is completely ba back in it and has blown up and, you know, broken the internet at Shudder. And it's just yep. like, man, if people would have only listened to my idea back then. <laughs> <laughs> if they only knew that the king of the drive-in and the queen uh, of the drive-in teamed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So who knows? Maybe we could still make that make that. It's, it's such a great idea. It was called you can a, find a Driving it, Across America. You can America. find it online. Yeah, Driving Across America is what it's called. Yeah, you can find, find it online. I, I know it's on like the Montana Film Office YouTube or something. But yeah, yeah, that that was a lot of fun, and um, and he's awesome, and we had a really good time shooting that, and I really enjoyed working with him. So that was pretty cool, and and of course we have to talk about Roger Corman, who was in my first drive-in documentary, and he's awesome too. And I was so lucky to have him in that in oh, in yeah. going attractions. What a dream! What a dream! Yeah, and he was funny because he, he you know, little known thing, he he doesn't like drive-ins, and the reason he told me why, he said he only went. Like he knows his films play there. And when I met him and told him I was making a documentary on the topic, he said, you know, do you want want to interview me? Just call my office. Like he knew he was part of that story and he was very generous yeah. in telling his part of the story. So it, it's not like I even had to ask him when I said I'm doing something on this topic. He was like, well, just call my office. Like he knew he he should be part of it. And yeah. he's so he's so encouraging, you know, to filmmakers. He wants to, you know, help you do what do what you're trying to do. But he told me he didn't like drive-ins. He said he went once, and he thought the um, and and this is funny coming from him because he's known for B movies. But he said we worked so hard to make the picture beautiful and to get the audio right. And when I went to a drive-in, it just didn't look right. You know, it didn't look at its best, and it didn't sound at its best. You know. <laughs> He's like, those, yeah. those speakers were terrible. And I said, well, you know that they don't have those speakers anymore. They got rid of those in the 80s. Now it comes over the radio. And he was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> You're schooling him on the driving culture. <laughs> well, he didn't He didn't even know the, you know, although a few of them do have the speakers, you know, a number of drive-ins do still have their speakers. So you yeah. could have that experience. But yeah, he didn't realize that that technology had improved. <laughs> Crazy. It's such a great concept, the Joe Bob thing. Uh, we were approached after the documentary for 
uh, kind of like a docu-series find, uh, following the crew. And I took the opportunity to write a treatment that, that I guess was kind of similar. The idea with mine was it was called Drive-In Revival, and we would go to uh, drive-ins that were really struggling and try to kind of uh, put on a big show and help them out in some sort of way to draw attention to the theater. But yeah. again, like it's a, the perfect concept to simply shine a light on the people who are making this magic happen. It's it's something for us being part of it. It's it seems endless, an endless well of material. There. Well, one saying. of the things that I love so much about drive-ins is that they're all unique in some way. They all have the, the certain aspects of whether it's the marquee or the snack bar or the decor or the layout, and they all have their own little sets of rules or specific rules that are unique or the food. And we always say that they, in a weird way, they kind of take on the personality of the owner. You know, because oh, yeah. each person yeah. is doing it the way that they would like, you know, from the drive-ins that they remember or, you know, so, so you really have this unique handprint on every drive-in that is impacted by the person that owns it. And that's part of what creates such unique experience at each one. It's like, yeah, they all have a screen, they all have a projector, they all have a snack bar, but beyond that, you know, it's all different. Yeah, it's so wild. It's the basics. It's it's a couple things, and then the experience and magic happens when you pull through those gates. You know. Yeah. The elements are in place. Now let the magic happen. Uh, well, you are, like you said, probably the most seasoned drive-in fan, going to so many drive-ins, and you know which ones have survived the test of time. Besides the Mahoning, can you point to a couple that drive-in fans? must see or that you would put kind of at the top of the American culture drive-in list? Oh no, I hate when people ask my favorite. It's impossible, but for us being <laughs> well, such driving off, fans. No, no, wait, love, I, can, I can make it easier. I can make that. it easier. Which are the worst ones you've ever been to? <laughs> right, right. That would be the harder question, right? <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe we won't go that way. Forget it, forget it. Well, first off, I, I told you guys this in advance of us talking. I have been to the Mahoning twice. I went to the Mahoning when I was making the first um, going attractions, which is, I think your marquee is in the film. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I went by there. Nobody was there. Um, I hit it at a time when it was just then, I'm sure. time empty. And then I went there another time, and I can't remember. It must have been when I was screening the documentary because I played at Becky's drive-in not far from you guys. Oh, yeah, not far at all. And, um, and so I drove around and I, I went by again. And so that probably was in 2013 or 2014. And same thing. It was just, you know, daytime empty, nobody there. So I've been yeah. there twice and it's a beautiful drive-in and your marquee is awesome and all that. So I, I'm very familiar with it. We'll have although, to get you out for a second. Although I have not seen a movie there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Soon, we're going to make it up. Boy, that is such a good question. A few personal favorites of mine. Um, I was a huge fan of the Admiral Twin. And oh, yeah. uh, I like the history of the outsiders shooting there. And I had, you know, this is shown in my original documentary that I had the opportunity to visit their original screen tower and to go inside it. And it was all wood. It looked like a wooden roller coaster inside. There's a couple shots of it in my documentary. And that was as tall as a nine story building. So, you know, just imagine that that place was huge. And the fact that it burnt to the ground was horrifying. But then the fact that the community rallied and wanted to keep it and that it came back to life and that they built a new tower, you know, that that pays homage being the same shape as the original. 
Love um, the driving. Yeah. I, I love that driving and it's along Route 66. So there's just so many elements to that one that I think make it really special that that is one I always like to bring up. We'll be having the owners on, am I right, Mark, or the Admiral? Yeah, we're having Blake from the Admiral Twin and Starlight on the show in a week. Yeah, and he came and he came in and took the Starlight when when that owner um, passed away and that one was at risk. So yes, he's awesome. Champion. Champion. I think I have two favorite marquees. I really love the Twin in Independence, Missouri. It's just when you see that thing in person, it's humongous, and the fact that there were four four or five with that design um, originally, and there's only one left. And when I was at the driving conference a couple months ago, it sounds like they're gonna do a restoration on that. Beautiful. It's so cool. Uh, and you can see it, the freeway that it's on, you can see it from far away and it's just awesome. It's huge. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. And of course the cowboy at the Winchester in Oklahoma. I with the cowboy at the gun, yeah. Holy cow. I mean, that one in person <laughs> also. And that drive-in has changed hands and the people running it now are like you guys. They're doing such a good job keeping it in good shape, marketing it. I see them putting so many cool little videos and drone shots and stuff. And so that's an awesome one. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma is where that one is. So those are probably my two most favorite marquees, although... You know, I love all drive-in marquees, um, but those are a couple of my favorites that stand out to me. Like I said, I cannot choose a favorite. I always answer that question that that if you have an open drive-in um, near you, that is the best drive-in. <laughs> Go yep, to it. That's the one. That's your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should be your favorite. Um, so that's really how I look at it right now. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot that are always on the top 10 lists or whatever. And sometimes that's just because they have been around longer or they market themselves better or, you know, not to say that they're not great drive-ins, believe me, they are. But yeah, I, I, I love those lists because they bring attention, but I kind of also don't like them because yeah. you, you can't really rate... You can't really rate and rank them. They're not in competition with each other. They're all on the same team to try to, to try to keep drive-ins alive. And so if you have a drive-in near you, that is your favorite drive-in. <laughs> Without a doubt. Well, I can't thank you enough for all that you do for the drive-in culture and all that you continue to do for the drive-in culture. For people who are now kind of wowed and in love with you, how can they find uh, your work or uh, support you online or whatever the case is? Just goingattractions.com. I have a website and I don't have the new movie on there yet, um, but it will be on there soon. But everything is compiled there. Even the Joe Bob Briggs one that we talked about is on there. So yeah, if you go to goingattractions.com and that is the best place to, to find me and um, it will be updated with back to the drive-in very soon when that comes out in, in the next few months. Yeah, beautiful. And yeah, hopefully, I'm sure I will travel to some degree to visit drive-ins when this new one comes out. So if I get out in your area, I will come visit you guys again. Without a doubt. <laughs> and we have a means to show digital. So it's not out of the question. We can certainly work wow. a screening. And, and we always joke trying to uh, get you and Al together because he does. He uh, certainly is a, a fan. So yeah, well, it's mut mutual fandom. Um, and it's worth mentioning, you've done an amazing job with just getting the Going Attractions documentary out there. You do the theater displays, which I've seen at several theaters around us, promoting and selling the documentary. Is that right? Yeah, I created a, a snack bar display for- Genius. 
you know your market. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of drive-ins, if they're selling T-shirts or other merchandise, it's it's just an easy thing. And especially for drive-ins that do get any sort of tourists coming through, it's a nice keepsake. And I do what I can to get to get things out there. That's what you got to do. We'll have to connect you with Sandy, our merch girl, and, uh, and get it on our table as well. Cool. Well, we can't thank you enough. Um, anything else you want to put out there to the people? Are you feeling good? Well, like I said, I can talk about drive-ins all day, so we could probably keep going. But I, think, <laughs> I think we covered, I think we covered a lot of ground, and I really appreciate you guys for what you do with the Mahoning because you know you you've done a great job and and raising awareness and all the cool events and things that you guys do there is really awesome. So um, much respect to you and thank you for having me on this podcast. And hopefully I can give a little nudge to drive in attention. <laughs> we're going to make, we're going to make this happen without a doubt. And, and again, any light shined, it, it always helps. There's constant flow of new discoveries to the drive-in uh, every single day that we're open. So that, that certainly yeah. goes a long way. Uh, well, thank you so much, guys. Again, you you heard it here. She's the queen of the drive-in. Go support her. Uh, we want to see the documentary up on the Mahoning screen without a doubt. And we're going to try to make that happen for you guys. I have never been the queen of the drive-in. I would say hey, that's a good thing. That's a good <laughs> moniker. Feel free to put yeah, that on. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't stuff. think anybody's ever called, ever, ever called me that, but I like it. <laughs> that's really funny. That's funny. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, hon. Be well. Have a good day. Take care. All right. You too. Bye, guys. April, right. How about that, Mark? I first saw Going Attractions on DVD. I bought the DVD not long after it came out because I was so excited. It's a, it's a documentary about drive-ins. And that's, you know, something obviously I love. So uh, that's really exciting to talk to her. We've been in communication a little off and on uh, setting this up, and I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Yeah, when we talk about trying to bring guests on that are involved in the driving culture, April's right up there on that list. And she's a, a, an amazing resource um, and connection to a lot of other people who are involved in the driving culture. So, uh, but like we said, support the hell out of April. Uh, check out her documentaries. Obviously, we love the drive-in and the fact that she has two now drive-in documentaries under her belt. Um, is more than worth loving her, but do yourself a favor and find the stunt woman documentary. It rules. It really does. For a fan of movies, as you are uh, being a fan of the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, it's going to be right up your alley. I guarantee it. And the official title is Stunt Woman, The Untold Hollywood Story. It's just from 2020, just from you know, a year or two ago. And the other film is Going Attractions, The Definitive Story of the Movie Palace from 2019 which I really want to see, you know, when we talk about the love of the drive-in culture, there's a big crossover with the love of the classic indoor houses that if they were able to survive and are still around are doing a lot of what the Mahoning does as far as programming or preservation of film. And uh, she does an amazing job, once again, shining a light on that aspect of our Hollywood culture. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thank you. Well, we have to thank April so much for uh, giving us her time. And again, all the uh, amazing work that she's done. 
Um, and I didn't do it at the beginning of the episode because I'm a douche. Uh, but my co-host, as Irma? always, Irma Ladouche. <laughs> my co-host, as always, and general manager extraordinaire, Mark. Thank you so much. I'm sorry I missed the intro. Happy to do it. It was. It, I really love setting these uh, interviews, these guests up for the show. I mean, it's it's honestly, if there's a guest on our show, it's because it's somebody I want to talk to and I want to learn what they have to inform us about so it was it was a thrill for me to, to to mostly just listen to this it's a great dream come true and mark's got a a plethora now of guests on the back burner and like we mentioned a couple of them on this episode you got a ton to look forward to um and again being that this is the drive-in podcast uh about the mahoning i guess it makes sense to mention that we do open back up at the end of april tickets are on sale at mahoningdit.com and uh, it's the perfect time, if you are a Mahoning fan, to take that a step further with our Patreon. It's really cool in the offseason because it's a means to get the dose of the Mahoning when we're not showing movies. Which is better than but... getting a dose at the Mahoning. <laughs> That's right. But once we're in season, it's there's a whole lot of benefits that go along with that membership. So, Mark, why don't you tell them where they can uh, support us via Patreon? There's a Cajun pronunciation there. <laughs> if you go to patreon.com forward slash Mahoning Drive-In, no dashes, uh, you'll find uh, our sort of homepage for Patreon where there are three different levels of membership. There's a $4.99, a $9.99, and $19.99. Each higher level includes everything in the lower level. And it gives you inside info, advanced information, and ticket access to shows, exclusive podcasts, exclusive videos. Sometimes we'll have a guest and we'll roll video on that. And if you are in uh, the second and third highest tier, um, you'll see the, the entire video version as well as the audio that everybody else gets. Uh, you get the podcast a little bit early. There are virtual screenings for the top tier. There are in-person members-only screenings for the top tier, on and on and on. Uh, we try to make it fun. It's, it's, I'm, I'm the, the mastermind behind 99.9% .9 of it. So if it stinks, I don't want to hear about it, but if you love it, um, it's, it's me. I, I want to do the kind of thing that I would pay for and give you guys as much as possible for that. And the income we get for that, uh, is first of all, the only income we've ever had before in the off season. And that really helps us getting the season going. And it's just an additional funds to keep the lights on and the, the projectors are running, uh, all through our season. Yeah. So jump on over. And, you know, like I said, now that the season started, you can get the snack bar discounts and the merch discounts and all sorts of fun stuff that come along with that membership. So we can't wait to see you guys at the theater. If you're loving the podcast, it really helps if you rate and review us. Um, and of course, just like the, the growth of the Mahoning, it all goes back to word of mouth. So if you guys are loving the podcast, uh, loving what we're doing here, let another drive-in fan know. Say, hey, if you got a long drive ahead of you, there's this really uh, cool podcast that I'm getting down with, Mahoning Drive-In Radio. It goes a long way. It really does. Uh, so thank you guys so much for joining us today, Mark. Thank you as always. And on that note, Jeff, take it away, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for coming out tonight to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. The exit is on the right-hand side of the screen at the front of the field. And most importantly, have a very safe trip home. Good night and God bless you.